Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. Hey guys, what's going on? Hey, this is uh, episode number 32. Yeah, we're getting up there. Yeah. So I finally uh, took the plunge and I went all electric with my brew rig. Uh, last weekend, right? Last weekend, yeah. So what you uh, brew? That's I, the most important thing. I brewed a uh, hazelnut brown ale, but minus the hazelnut because I don't, just don't want to do that. <laughs> So just a brown ale. So just a brown ale, yeah. But, but, but the official title is Hazelnut Brown Ale. It's actually, so... Uh, at Asterisk, a previous, no hazelnut. Right, no. <laughs> a previous engineer at a previous job I was working at, it was his favorite brown, and he gave me the recipe for it, and I fell in love with it. So I've been brewing it ever since. And in fact, I actually owe him a keg of this because I have done, or he's done is a lot of royalties? work for me. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> he's done a ton of work for me in the past like year, and every single time he's, uh, I try to like offer him cash or something. He's like, "No, just brew a batch of hazelnut brown and get it to me." <laughs> so I told him the other day uh, that uh, I'm going to deliver a keg, but he has to have some uh, lawn chairs out ready for us to uh, consume. To consume right when you show up. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So uh, electric brew. I actually bought a full like electric conversion kit to turn my pot into an electric um, brew, but uh, by the day I wanted to brew, the heating element hadn't actually come in yet. So I went to Lowe's, and I just bought a hot water heater element <laughs> for 18 bucks, <laughs> and it totally worked fine. So what was what's the difference between the one that you were waiting on versus the one you bought at Lowe's? Okay, so they come in three uh, types. Okay. There's high watt density, there's low watt density and there's ultra low watt density. Okay. And that just basically means how many watts per inch the are, coil is. Are, yeah, yeah, are distributed on the coil. And for beer brewing, since you're heating up uh, a liquid water. with a ton of sugar, yeah, yep. you want ultra low watt density so it doesn't scorch the sugar or caramelize Car- it. Caramelize right on the, scent, on yeah, the heater. You, you don't want to make candy, yep. basically, uh, sort of. You kind of do a little bit. Liquid candy. Yeah, liquid candy. So I found one that was basically, I think it fit in the middle category. It was low watt density. It was 4,500 watts uh, on 220 volts. So um, this is where where things get kind of fun. I kind of had this brew day set in stone. Because you were having uh, Matt Keyes over, right? Matt Keyes, yeah. He was... um, he was on one of our episodes, episode 20, yep. actually. Um, so, with, yeah, he's uh, one of the guys over at the Iron Yard here in Houston. Yep. It's a uh, uh, school here in Houston. Uh, he's a friend of mine and hadn't ever brewed before. So I was like, hey, let's set up a brew day, and I'm going to make it all electric. And, like, three days before, I was like, oh, crap, i got to make it all <laughs> electric. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got a PID controller that actually takes in a PT100 RTD sensor. And I found these cool RTD sensors that are all welded, um, so they're hermetic, and they have uh, an MPT thread, so I can thread them directly into my kettle, and I don't have to worry about leakage or sanitary problems or any, any kind of issues with that. So I ran that into my PID controller, and my PID controller has an output that controls a solid-state relay, but a big monster 40-amp solid-state relay. Okay, yeah. Because uh, the, the coil, remember, is the heating coil is, is 4,500 watts at 220 uh, volts, volts. Yep. which is 20 amps. A little over, yeah. If it's running full bore. Yep. Um, so this PID controller basically PWMs the, um, 
uh, SSR, which turns on and off the, the heating coil, and there you go. You can set whatever temperature you want, boiling anywhere from whatever up to boiling. Yep. Uh, so it worked out pretty well. But <laughs> the biggest thing is that I didn't really have an enclosure to put all this stuff in. <laughs> Yeah, this is a great picture. <laughs> so the morning of the brew session, I get up early and I cut a hole in the side of a USPS box and I shove uh, I shove Romex uh, cabling, so some 10-2 uh, or 10-3 Romex in there uh, along with um, the SSR and the PID controller, and I even hooked up my RTD through like a connector on the side yeah, of the box. Yeah, it actually has a bulkhead connector. I tried on the to make board. it look like it was actually intentional, even though it was just. I've got I've got a USPS box, like literally a cardboard box that's controlling almost five thousand. And this is not watts. even a, it's not even a brand new box too. This box has been like <laughs> back and forth through like the apocalypse, is what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, and and so I have got a water stain on the side. I've got fifty feet of Romex that's going from my laundry room all the way to my kitchen, plugged into a USPS box. This is this is one step above bathtub. Uh, gin, you yeah. know, one step, one, yeah, one step. I tried to get all technical with it, and it turned out to be pretty ghetto. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll post some pictures. Everything turned out well. It was actually one of the best brews I've ever done, and things are fermenting well. Cool. So, uh, so that was cool. I did that this week. Yeah. And uh, so what I've been working on is uh, for Spooky Pinball. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of going into Stevens. Audio world a little bit. Ooh. Yeah, because I'm working on this uh, audio amp for their pinball machines. Yep. Um, they've basically been having a lot of supply issues from China with their current amp. And the problem is they have to get them from the legit source because if they buy, like, from a, you know, an alternate source, they're getting basically fakes. And they sound like garbage. Okay. Um, and so basically we're just going to design one so we know... Buy this, it will work. Yeah, and we won't have and we won't have any supply issues at all. Right. Um, And so Steven showed me this thing called a gain clone. Yep. And that's like a sixty-eight watt, basically single channel amp. It's a yeah, it's a really popular little kind of kit amp that you can make in an afternoon, and it actually sounds really good. Yeah, and it basically uses a Texas Instruments audio amplifier big package thing yeah an all-in-one package yeah i can't remember the exact number um i'm not going to be using the exact game clone because i actually don't need 68 watts per channel in a pinball machine because that would <laughs> completely blow the doors off <laughs> the ball would bounce all over yeah the place. you would basically rattle the thing to death yeah right um so i'm going to use the smaller brother which is the lm 1875 uh-huh. which is 20 watts per channel which is still a lot which is still a lot we're actually probably going to limit them to 10 watts, and that's still going to be a really loud. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the current amp says 40 watts per channel with a 68-watt sub, which is impossible because their power supply is 12-volt 3-amp, which is 36 watts. Right. So it's just if you, that amp was 100% efficient, you would not even get close to even one channel being full out on 40 watts. Well, and... and, and- and even if it was 100% efficient, you're still talking about RMS, not DC. Exactly. So it's still not even going to output that much. Yeah. Uh, people, people, uh, people equate wattage and volume 
all the time, and it's there. You can't equate them; they're not the same. They mean very different things. And most of the time, when someone has you know their car stereo cranked up, you know you're not pumping out a thousand watts. <laughs> yeah, right. And the, the license plates rattle. Yeah, rattling. <laughs> no, it's it's not a thousand watts. You know, you're pushing five. Yeah, <laughs> your battery's not going to continually pump out a thousand watts. No. Um, but we're going to make it true 20 watt per channel. Yeah. So it's going to be 20, 20, 20. So left, right, sub. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they will have tone control. Basically, we just have to make a cutoff and a uh, basically base adjustment. Yeah. Right, and, uh, right. and a high end adjustment. That's all we have to do on it. Um, to do that, I found these really cool low-cost dual-gang potentiometers on eBay. Yeah. Now, we usually don't like using parts you buy on eBay <laughs> because there's always supply problems and stuff. Right. But first of all, the guy's got like a bazillion of these things. So we're just going to buy like five years worth. Yeah. And a good thing we can do about that is they're also like 15 cents a pop. They're really <laughs> Really cheap. cheap. <laughs> well, and, and the good thing is they're not... They're not going to be used every day. No, no. They will be set in, in Spooky Pinball. They will set them yeah. you know, on the floor, and that's it. And well, maybe and the, someone the customer will might it. move it sometime down the road. Yes. But it's not like, it's not like an amplifier uh, that you use every day where you're going to be turning it every single time. Exactly. So these potentiometers might get like 10 uses in its lifetime. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, quality is not as much of an issue. No. Um, and the biggest thing I've been running into is because first of all, the budget for the whole thing in quantity 500 is going to be like 30 bucks. Wow. Total. And that also has to include the power supply for a, for a three twenty watt. Yeah. Amplifier. That's cheap. Yeah. So that, well, I'm getting pretty close. The problem is the power supply. Yeah. Um, cause we're like, oh yeah, we're going to make this badass amp. Let's just use, you know, let's put a linear supply on the board. Yeah. Make it clean. Make it really clean. Transformers that can do 60 watts are expensive. Yep. Because we need to be able to basically, we need to give it 18 volts. We need an 18 volt, uh, a 120 to 18 volt transformer that can handle three amps on the, on the secondary. Right. And they're like $17. Yeah. I, iron, you know, is not cheap. Yeah. Mag- magnetics are, are one of the most expensive parts. Yeah. And... Yeah, so what we're going to do is we're going to do similar to what they, they currently do. They just have a switch mode power supply. Because mm-hmm. you can get a 24-volt switch mode power supply for $7. Yeah. Um, which is in budget. Yep. We're just going to go that route. I don't really want to go that route, but it's just how we're going to have to make it work. But, but something Parker and I were discussing earlier this week, it's a pinball machine. It makes a ton of racket. It yeah. just, and it's, it's not like, like the speakers are in like a designed enclosure to maximize no. the performance of them. You're not going to get an audio snob coming up there and be like, well, this pinball machine doesn't sound right. No. Actually, the thing is, people, all they care about pinball machines is they sound loud. Yeah, you got to know what, what's going on. Yeah. 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 So, so. You've, you've, you've met that requirement. And it's like, for $10, like, so the difference between... That's just the Transformer $17. Then you, need the, then you need a bridge rectifier. Then you need caps and yep. all the smoothing and all that stuff. I bet you, per cost, I bet you for like $10. So $7 in the switch mode plus $3 in the caps 
will be smoother than like $20 worth of the linear. No, probably. So that's $17 of a transformer plus the last $3 is like rectifier caps and yeah. I bet you the switch modes can be cleaner. Switch modes just aren't a big fan of inductive loads. No, but cuz they cuz when they and when the load becomes inductive and starts to mess with the voltage, the switch mode goes, "Oh shit, what do I do?" you know, yeah. it, it like tries to adjust and we'll just but it shouldn't be an issue. But we can buy $3 of really big caps. Exactly. And that solves that problem. Right. You, you, you <laughs> decouple it from the inductive load. Yes. Yeah. You're That's not going to put a motor directly on the output of a switch mode unless you want issues. Yes, exactly. So we're just going to do that, and it should work fine. Yeah. So we get basically uh, $23 for the amp, which is definitely doable. Oh, yeah, and the heat sink. It's going to be like 4 or $5. Yeah. And that's in there, too. Oh, well, it's going to need a pretty hefty heat sink. Yeah, it's going to be able... Well, we're not going to be doing 20 watts per channel because the speakers are only 10-watt speakers. Right. So we're going to limit it to 10 watts. So, But but it's got to be able to handle 30 watts. 30 watt total. Yeah. Which is actually not too hard. No. So I think I'm just going to actually get a... I got a heat sink manufacturer over in China. Yeah. And I'm just going to send them... I'm like, just use a off-shelf extrusion... And just tell them to drill three holes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, probably five holes. Because I want to put a bracket on the bottom. Oh, for the mounting the PCB. For the mounting too. to the PCB. Yeah. And that should be it. Could also uh, have some um, holes drilled in it such that it can mount to the uh, side of the um, enclosure of the pinball machine. Yeah. Uh, we thought about that, and I, it's going to be a pain in the butt. I'd yeah. rather go through the PCB into the cabinet. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Are you gonna have uh, any forced air on the no, heat sink? Just, it won't just it. ambient. Yeah. Cool. So it should be plenty loud. Oh yeah. Well, it's what you got two five-inch speakers and then one ten-inch. One twelve-inch sub. One twelve-inch sub. Yeah. I mean, and both of the five-inch speakers are in the in the head case, right? That are facing directly towards yeah. the player. Yeah. It'll be plenty loud enough. Yeah. And it should sound better than what they currently use. Yeah. Probably. But yeah, should be pretty cool. I'll probably have some more updates on that next week. I'm hoping. Uh, I told I told him I'd have a prototype done by Friday. It's not looking like that yet. <laughs> um, I was gonna work on it a little bit tonight. You prototype as in like working prototype? Yeah, working prototype that I can ship up. No, like the design's done and I order it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, that might not happen. Sure. I think the only thing I've designed is like the amplifier. Like, the actual schematic symbol and layout for it. Nice. I haven't actually laid anything else out yet. Maybe I'll do an all-nighter. We'll see. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and, uh... See, how, how long are we in this yet, so far? Uh, I don't know. You just want to go right to the RFO? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Okay. So, there was this really cool article. There's a... Okay. There's a really cool website for basically project uh, project uh, product engineers yeah. called EMC FastPass. Okay. And this, this this website, they basically put out a bunch of articles on, like, how to design and pass FCC and CE testing. And most of their stuff is free. They got really good books, stuff like that, uh, e-books yeah. that you can download. But they had this really cool article about... 
an actual use case uh, for basically doing cost reduction yeah. from, for a product that has to be FCC certified. Mm-hmm. And so it's a story of a barbecue controller. <laughs> Wait, a barbecue controller had to be FCC certified? Yeah. It has mm-hmm. a clock over, what, eight, 8 kilohertz? Yeah. So, yeah, you have to get FCC certified. So, anyways... Um, Basically for emission testing. Make sure you're not messing up cell phones well, and right, right, people's yeah. stuff. Um, so the original design was four-layer, and they passed flying colors through FCC, CE testing, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. And they were looking to reduce the cost of their product. And so they were like, well, a big cost up front is the PCB. So they could reduce the cost of the PCB by like basically half the price. Yeah. And it would save a couple bucks on the back end. And so there was, they went through all the challenges. Basically, the first thing he did is he just, like, did a two-layer design, shipped it out the door, and it failed FCC testing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really noisy all the spectrum. And then, basically, he went back, redesigned it, did more testing, went back, did more design te- designing, and then retested, and they finally passed. Yeah. And so it's really cool just going through the process of what it takes to become FCC certified. Yeah. And it's a really good article for people who have never done it before because, like, this, he actually lists out, like, this is stuff you should bring when you get tested. This is stuff that, um, ex- you know, when you're doing your design, what's your best chance of success? Mm. What are areas to look for? All that good stuff. So I definitely recommend anyone that's actually designing a product, um, especially Kickstarter and that kind of stuff, is to look at this stuff first. Yeah. Yeah, because because just getting your circuit working is like the first quarter of yeah, the hurdles like you have 30% to go through. Thirty percent of the work. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and 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 for for guys like us, you know, just the engineering type, it can be really frustrating because we're sitting there the whole time saying, "My circuit works. My circuit does what I need it to do." Yet you you can't do anything with it until you meet all of these specifications and certifications and. It gets annoying, but uh, yeah, uh, certainly the first time you go through it, actually the first probably two or three times you go through it, it's really eye-opening. Yep. Uh, and then you kind of just get numb to all the things that yeah. you need to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, when you look at a lot of my designs, people look at me like, why are you designing it that way? I'm like, if I have to pass FCC testing... Yeah, right, right. <laughs> this is I'm laying it out exactly like it should be. <laughs> the, and, and it's funny because yeah, you look at you look at a PCB by some people and, and and you're like, man, that's really dumb. Why would that guy do that? Stop and think. He probably had some kind of reason to do that, you know. And a lot of times it is FCC. So yeah, the um, uh, like one of his examples is analog inputs, and. Most of the time for these kind of products is you just like, you know, run a wire right into analog in on your Arduino. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> it would work unless you start bombarding it with, with EMF radiation. Yep. Now it's going to go a little crazy. And so he's like, always low pass your inputs with like a capacitor and a resistor. Then you're good to go. We always used um, ferrite beads. Yeah. Uh, and we had, gosh, on some of our boards, we had upwards of like 70, 80 uh, analog inputs, and so it was just pockmarked with 0805 ferrite beads everywhere, <laughs> right at the input, as close to the as input, to the input as, as, as you possibly could. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll put a link in the uh, podcast description 
Yeah. Yeah, go check it out, guys. It's a really good read. Um, another cool article. Um, I really like this because we had a topic of this, like, what, two weeks ago? Something like that, yeah. Um, top 10 reasons to not buy fake MacBook chargers. Number eight will shock you. <laughs> Um, clickbait article. Awesome. Electronic clickbait. This is by uh, Hackaday. Um, this is like one of my favorite articles that came out this week because I'm like, ah! <laughs> um, See, so yeah, they're, they're talking about crappy uh, MacBook chargers. Yeah. Yeah, because um, Chinese offshoot stuff. Yeah, so sure, they will charge your device, but they will also kill you in the process. Right. <laughs> All of the protection measures gone are removed. So it's like basically like on the mag maglev or is it mag? No, not maglev. Mag mag connect. That's not it. But let's whatever run with that. trademark Apple uses for it. <laughs> um, basically, on the cheap ones, the outer casing of them are connect is connected to live on the AC mains. <laughs> and so, if you dropped it on like a metal table. It probably weld itself to the table. <laughs> That's almost as bad as running 5,000 watts through a USPS box. Almost. Almost. I wouldn't know anyone who's done that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention earlier, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but I didn't have the neutral or the ground connected to anything. Yeah, you're lucky you didn't die. <laughs> it was all good. I did a that good, means your I apartment did, has very good phasing. And I did, I did a good job of the actual wiring to the heating element. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you just wire nut it? Uh, no. No, 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 no. I, uh, it was all crimped. It was all spade terminals. It was all... Oh, okay. I, I, I did the... To the terminal connection, I did a good job. Now, to everything else, Parker has requested that I take a picture of the inside, <laughs> inside of the of box. The box. <laughs> Do not judge, because I created a tasty uh, five-gallon batch of beer off of, of this. <laughs> but, yeah. But, 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 yeah, no, Chinese Chinese chargers. Yeah. Uh, basically, yeah, they just basically quote cost reduce um, the 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 charger. Yeah, those are removing, that's, that's quote for remove safety. Yeah, remove safety devices. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen a bunch of teardowns of these fake chargers, and including the, the little USB five volt wall warts. Uh, there is, gosh, the market is just completely flooded with garbage USB. Um, chargers and some of those are dangerous as hell yeah i would i would basically recommend not buying anything that's like generic chargers yeah even be yeah like be pretty wary about you know you see that ra uh, rack of chargers at your gas, gas station, station? <laughs> yeah be, be careful about that because you never know i mean they can catch on fire they can explode they can shock you they can, there's so many things that can go wrong with them and if you know from the outside they have that like Ooh, they're white and they are. They look really like clean and stuff. You open it up, it's like, oh god, what's gone gone wrong in here? Yeah, and, and if they have a uh, CE mark, it might not even be CE. It might be there's also another CE mark that actually means Chinese export, and it looks just like the CE logo except the spacing slightly different. CE has a very specific required image. But even going further is. Even going further than that, it's like if someone put a CE mark on it, how do you know any difference? Well, I mean, half the time they come with UL marking and CSA and 
all the others too because you can just download that and slap it on a product what are they going to do fly over to china and audit find their, that yeah, one find it and then audit that, that factory and be like nope you can't build this <laughs> <laughs> nope yeah <laughs> yeah it's um basically by any any low-cost product out of china that's got markings be very wary of it yeah right it, yeah. and even that's even the thing is like even companies like Meanwell that are supposedly really good power supply manufacturers sometimes they get a batch from china and it's bad yep yep uh you gotta i mean you gotta watch out yeah know where your stuff is coming from if if possible uh ebay alibaba and aliexpress are not necessarily the most trustworthy out there except for cheap potentiometers that's true (laughs) But a but a cheap potentiometer is probably not going to kill you. No. Well, depends. In this application, I'm using them. No, no high voltage. No, but I mean, the the, the potentiometer would would burn up if you put any anything on it, especially. I could it's see cheap. it where if some manufacturing fault, and let's say you were you had a high one of your legs on a high voltage line. Yeah. Like 50 volts, and it's bridged over to the knob. Oh yeah. So the knob to like internal isolation was not high. Yeah. Or they just filled it with like basically, you know, uh, conductive grease. <laughs> like really old potentiometers. Well, really old potentiometers are just full of that crappy grease. Yep. Yeah. The uh, um, so so a typical potentiometer like just the old school ones that the twenty four millimeters that you see all over the place. The the internal wiper is a phenolic base with a carbon track on it. Yes. Um, if they don't use phenolic, I mean, there's nothing saying they have to use phenolic, which is like a gazillion gigaohms. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, they could just use some kind of crappy paper that's impregnated with something that's conductive. Yep. Uh, Foil. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, um, bubble gum wrappers. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I've, I've seen some stuff, man. <laughs> Is that, was that a thousand yard stare? Yeah, a thousand yard Alibaba stare. Yeah, <laughs> that whatever that weird like italics face they have as their uh, logo yeah, for yeah. Alibaba. Like, what kind of logo is that? It just looks weird. Oh, it's supposed to be a face, I think. Yeah, but like, why? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like, what if what if eBay's logo was just like a smiley face? It just wouldn't make sense. But for some reason, Alibaba does it. Eh, it works. All right. Well, I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good. So that was the uh, MacFab Engineering Podcast, episode number 32. Number 32. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy, guys. Later. <laughs>